Um, as we prepare for this next chapter, I want to first point out to you, if you guys will look there with me in verse 1. If you look at verse 1, it tells us that um, two years has passed, okay? Two years has passed since Joseph had interpreted the dreams for, of, for the butler and the baker that we read about list last week. And if you, if you think about that, you think, okay, two years has passed, but think about Joseph, This means that two years had passed since the butler had been released, and during those two years, Joseph was left to rot in prison, if you will, um, because the butler didn't fulfill his promise. He had forgot Joseph, and he he had told Joseph that he would help him to get free once he had been restored to Pharaoh's court, and he didn't. And I wanted to point this out because even though this chapter, guys, even though this chapter records how Joseph's circumstances once again changed, right, this roller coaster of life that Joseph also went through, probably in extremes that you and I may not ever, ever go through, or maybe in just different ways, but is, as, as, as Joseph's circumstances are always changing and continuing change, what we're going to see in this chapter is how God's past revelation, the foretold future of Joseph through the dreams that he had, which was 13 years previously, we see in this chapter that they're going to come to fruition. They're going to be fulfilled. And we need to keep in mind when we see this that even though Joseph had been forsaken by his brothers and forgotten by man, he had not been forgotten or forsaken by God. That's what we see in this chapter. In fact, in this chapter, we'll see that that, um, all these really hard things that Joseph went through. Now think about that in relationship to all the hard things that we go through, the trials and tribulations of life. And, and, And as we see this and we look at all these hard things that joseph went through what we're going to see and what we are seeing is that they've been used by god right god's sovereign plan they've been used by god and god was working through those hard things through those tribulations for joseph's good in order to fulfill his promises through joseph's life and not just his promises to joseph but his promises to the Hebrew people. That was first made to Abraham and then to Isaac and to Jacob and on down. And we'll see that come to pass in the chapters that, 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 are, 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 that we're going to be reading about in the rest of this, of this book. But so, so God's divine plan and the culmination of everything that had happened to Joseph over those 13 years of tribulation was now finally being revealed as Joseph was going to be brought before Pharaoh, set free from his chains and raised to a position of authority and power. And I wanted to point this out as we see God's plan coming to pass or to fruition because I believe, guys, I believe that if we, like Joseph, could just exercise our faith in order to see God's hands working in our lives today, then it would give us also a different outlook on life. Especially when things are difficult. Especially when we feel as though we have been forgotten or forsaken. This reminds me of the Apostle Paul's words in Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Where Paul wrote and he said to the Romans, he says, Oh, how great are the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. But in light of this, in light of what we read in this chapter, in chapter 41, we should realize that even though in, in, in our natural state of being, 
with our own eyes, with our own ears, with our own reasoning, even though it's hard for us or difficult for us to understand the decisions and ways of an infinite God with our finite understanding of things. Listen, guys, what we see in this chapter, what is made really clear to us that we can take away from this and apply to our own lives is that God's time to act, and perhaps you're waiting on God to act now in your own life, for something that he's promised you or a situation that you're in, let me tell you that God's time to act is never too early and it's never too late. In other words, God's timing is perfect. And he, in the moment, right now, he orchestrates the details of each one of our lives and he does so to perfection. To perfection. And in God's perfect timing, he's able to give us what the Bible tells us. Listen, he's able to give us in his perfect timing Thank you. He's able to give us beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would do that this morning through your word and by your spirit, God, as we study and turn to you now. Or as we read again more details about Joseph's life, God, would you cause us to walk in humility before you and receive every good thing from your hand, to receive everything from you as good. Lord, help us to have faith to trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chapter 41, verse 1, it says, Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up out of them, out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And those ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and he dreamed a second time. And suddenly seven heads of grain come up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads blighted. By the east wind sprang up after them, and the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. And so Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was, it was a dream. Now, verse 8, it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. That's an interesting word. We're going to talk about that. His spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Guys, now as we begin to look at this and we connect some of the things that I already talked about in relationship to God's perfect timing and in relationship to God's life and God's plans, which we're reading about coming to pass here, we see in this chapter that when things started to happen, they moved quickly. And um, in fact, it appears that all within one day's time, Joseph went being from being the forgotten prisoner to Pharaoh's right-hand man, second in charge of all of Egypt. And lots of times, it's important to, 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 to keep in mind, because lots of times it feels that the place of we're in, where there's a trial and a tribulation, sometimes it feels like it's going to take years to get out of this spot, or, or that we may never get out of this place. But when God begins to do a work, there's nothing that can stand in his way. Nothing. 
And whatever mountain of tribulation is in your life that you feel standing before you, or no matter how deep in a pit that you feel that you might be, God is able to raise you up and lift you up in a moment's time. And even though we know that this rise to power really for Joseph was 13 years in coming, we know that it was God planned and God directed, right? That it was a God planned and God directed journey with many ups and downs. And this chapter, which accounts the fulfillment of God's prophesied plan for Joseph's life, it ultimately reveals to us the sovereignty of God. God working in every situation of Joseph's life, in every circumstance of Joseph's life, just like he is today in ours. In other words, in, for us, as we, we read over this chapter and we can take the totality of Joseph's life before our eyes and being able to see all of the circumstances that God used to bring Joseph to this place now of a power, we can see how God was working in Joseph's life even way back when, when Joseph was sold as a slave, right? And unjustly, even when he was in, unjustly put into prison by Potiphar. We can see that thread of going, you know what? God was with him in every circumstance. God was orchestrating all of those things, taking him to Egypt, putting him in prison, allowing him to meet these people, to do these things because God had a plan. And how many times in our own life do we have that, that saying, hindsight is twenty twenty. If I only knew now what I knew then, a relationship that God was with me the whole time, I can look back and see that he never left me, he never forsake me. And a matter of fact, he allowed for this and he allowed for that and he did this because this is what he was doing. And we all have those experiences and those situations, but right now in the moment of the tribulation and the trial that you're in, sometimes we lose sight of that. And we feel forgotten and we feel forsaken but it's a lie from the enemy. It's not true. God's sovereign. He's working in your life. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And such was the case with Joseph. Joseph, God was working in all those when he was a slave, when he was in prison. But we must remember, guys, this. We must remember that Joseph, who went through these 13 years, he didn't have the fortune or the ability of being able to see the end of the thing while in the midst of it, did he? And that's where faith comes in. And this is where it required Joseph to exercise his faith. In those very difficult times when he was probably asking God himself, God, why are these things happening to me? And God, how are you going to work these things to good? You told me this. You showed me that. And I don't see, God, how it's all working out. But you know what? The same is true for us in regards to our own lives. Is it can be really hard for us to see why God is allowing for us to go through difficult things. And hard for us to see not only why He's allowing for us to go through it, but how, God, how are you going to work these difficult things out for my good? Yet as Joseph examples, and as the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we are called to walk. We are called to follow after God by faith, right? And not according to what we can see. And in doing so, trusting that God is in control. Do you believe that He's in control of your life today? With your kids, with your marriage, with your finances, with your work. How about within our government? And the world as a whole, so we see many crazy things going on. How about when there's unjust things? 
that aren't even happening to us, but just in the world around. You know, God, are you, are you still in control? Look at all these things that are going on. And we have to exercise that faith. We have to trust, even though we don't see with our eyes. Because when we do so, what's happening is, is we're trusting that God is in control and we're trusting that he's working through our circumstances in order to do this, guys, just like he did for Joseph. We're trusting that he's going to bring forth his perfect will into our lives. We're trusting that he's going to bring forth his plans, his plans, plans of good for us, and that he's going to do it in his perfect timing. That's what this chapter reveals. It's in God's perfect timing. Now, as we see these taking place, things taking place in Joseph's life, guys, look again in verse 1. We're told that, that it came to pass that Pharaoh had a couple of dreams, dreams which troubled his spirit. There's a word that's being used there. And that none of his wise men and none of these Egyptians, these Egyptian magicians could interpret these dreams. And, and, and at some level, these guys had had the power or the ability to do this in the past, or Pharaoh would not have been able to have turned to them and expected it in this time. But they could not. They could not. And simply put, Pharaoh, guys, simply put, he had a problem, Right? Pharaoh had a problem, and there was no one around who could give him the answers to his problems. As is the case with most people who don't know Jesus or the Word of God today. They have a problem, and they're searching for the answers, and there's nobody who can really give them the answers to their problems. Now, the word used there in verse 8 for troubled, the Hebrew word is the word, it's just a simple word, it's called pa'am. Pa'am. And it speaks to a mental state of being, specifically one of distress and worry over a situation, something I think that we're all very familiar with, to pa'am. And when I did a word study on this Hebrew word, I found that it's only used three other times in the entire Bible, this specific word that's, that speaks to this state of being. Uh, it's more than just a feeling. It's, it's a place where you're at. It's a state of being, maybe in your mind and in your heart, where there's distress o- over a situation, worry over a situation. And, and you know what I'm talking about, where, where you perhaps have entered into that place, right? It's just not something that passes by or you pass through. It's like something's going on in your life that's so difficult that you're in a palm, you're troubled. The other places that it's used is twice, first in Psalm 77, verses 1 through 4. Listen to this, where the psalmist writes, and he says this. He says, I cried out to God with my voice, to God with my voice, and he gave ear to me. In the day of trouble, palm, I sought the Lord. So in the state of mind, in the state of being, this place where I was at, he says, I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out. In the night, without ceasing, my soul refused to be comforted. I remember God and I was troubled. And so I complained in my spirit, and I was overwhelmed. And then the psalmist says, you hold my eyelids open, and I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. The other time that we read about that same word being used is in the book of Daniel, where it refers to Nebuchadnezzar. And in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel, another interpreter of dreams in verse one it tells us this it says now in the second year of nebuchadnezzar's reign nebuchadnezzar had dreams 
and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. And I point this out and I find it interesting because in all three of these instances, whether it's here in the book of Genesis with Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar or the the, the difficult thing that the psalmist was writing about, I point all these things out because in each one of these instances we read that these feelings of distress, the state of being that these people entered into, it was such an intense place, it was such an intense thing that each person, the common thing is, is they were losing sleep over it. You ever been there? That they were losing sleep over the thing that they were facing. And I think this is something that we can all identify with as we've all experienced those times where we've laid down to sleep but we could not because we've been so overwhelmed and distressed by our problems and by the situations that we're facing. And like Pharaoh did in his time of trouble, we in our times of trouble, in our times of paw, we reach out to someone who we can believe who will help us or someone who we think that might be able to give us the answers that not only our mind is searching for but that our heart is searching for in an attempt to find what? Peace. And often we turn to ourselves. You know when we do that, it's because we lay in bed and we do what I've, you've heard me say this before, perhaps to you even individually, we do that record player thing, right? Where you have the problem in the situation, you just work in it. Like a record that's skipping. And what you're trying to do, what we're trying to do in that moment is find peace. Find peace. But for Pharaoh, we're told that none of his wise men, the men who he turned to, none of his magicians, those who have offered him some kind of some kind of comfort in the past from these times of distress that he was in. He said that none of them could interpret his dreams. In, none of, in short, none of them could bring something to ease Pharaoh's mind, to ease his heart. And this was due to the fact that none of these men contained the wisdom or the words of God. And that's key. That's significant. And that's revealed to us a little further as we see Joseph come into the scene. And Scripture tells us that the wise... That the, excuse me. Tell, scripture tells us that the wisdom of man... The wisdom of men will fail. I mean, there comes a point where our understanding of a situation only goes so far. The wisdom of man will fail. Even the wisest of men, their wisdom will fail. It says, but this, but the word of the Lord stands. The word of God stands. And so the only way to find true peace in our times of trouble is to turn to Jesus, who the Bible tells us is the Prince of Peace. Who is also, the Bible tells us, the living Word of God. What stands? The Word of God. Because the living Word and the written Word of God is what has the power to overcome all of our palms, all of our troubles, those troubles that cause us to lose sleep and to give us that peace that we're looking for. In fact, you know this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. It tells us this is the peace, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. That peace will guard your heart and your minds through Christ Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the living Word of God. And it's very important for us to realize this so that when we find ourselves in those times of trouble, when we find ourselves in a troublesome situation, we're then choosing to go to God's Son and to go then to God's Word in order to receive the peace 
and our hearts and minds are looking for. But not only that, in addition to that, furthermore, it's important for us to remember these truths as is exampled in this chapter because when people come to us, when the world comes to us with their troubles and they don't have any answers and they don't have any peace for their hearts and their minds, then we are giving them what satisfies. We're giving them Jesus and we're giving them the truth of God's Word for the answers to their problems. We're not giving them our opinions. We're not giving them our ideas. And this is what we'll see Joseph do for Pharaoh. And in verse 9, we read on it. It says, And then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my fault this day. Maybe he didn't say it just like that, but I imagine it was like that. When Pharaoh was angry with the servant and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, Verse 11, we each had a dream in one night, he and I, and each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man, he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass just as he... And it came to pass just as he had interpreted it for us, so it happened. So he restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved and changed his clothes and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. I love verse 16. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, It is not in me. God will give you, Pharaoh, an answer of peace. God will give you, Pharaoh, an answer of peace. So, as we consider this and we're thinking, you know, looking through the lens of the sovereignty of God, us looking at the total picture, being able to see it clearly played out before us, we see that God intervenes here. He gave Pharaoh the two dreams. He gave Pharaoh the two dreams that could not be interpreted by anyone, and we see how this was really just the next step in God working out his sovereign plan to ultimately set Joseph free and to raise him into a position of authority and power. And because there was no one who could interpret these dreams, also something that God orchestrated, God in his perfect timing caused this chief butler just to, I remember right? To remember. And the butler's report about what Joseph had done for him and about his ability to understand the dreams, this was exactly what Pharaoh wanted to hear. There's somebody out there who can help me find the peace and the answers that I'm looking for. Now, when Pharaoh sent for Joseph, we're told in verse 11, and, and maybe I have this thing of, of, of focusing on stuff that that is kind of um, not at the at the at the surface of, of 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 the situation, but this is this seems to be a little fascinating to me. And but anyway, let me get there. In, in verse eleven, we're told that Joseph was quickly brought out of the dungeon, but before doing so, he shaved and he changed his clothes before he came to Pharaoh. He shaved and changed his clothes before coming to Pharaoh. And you know, you guys know I'm not one to over spiritualize something, and I don't want to over spiritualize this because it makes just some very practical sense that Joseph would get cleaned up before being brought into Pharaoh's presence, right? You're not going to go before the ruler of all the land smelling and looking like a stinky, dirty prisoner. So there's some practical sense in there. But the simple, but the fact that this very simple detail is accounted here in this text, that, yeah, Joseph's shaved and he changed his clothes, because it's there, I find it interesting. 
Yet when we consider it, I think, when we consider it in the context of Joseph's life, the whole of Joseph's life, in conjunction with the changing of Joseph's circumstances, right? I think there's some significance to what we're being told here in verse 11. Because if you remember, if we look back on Joseph's life, we see this as kind of a repeated theme, that when, 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 when the changes he experiences that he goes through, they're also marked by the clothes that he wore or how his clothes were also changed, right? For example, when Joseph was living at home, he was the favored son who wore a special, special coat of what? A coat of many colors, right? That had been given to him by his father. But we know that, 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 that this coat was stripped off of Joseph by his brothers and it was exchanged for the garments of a slave when they sold him into slavery. Yet even as a slave, Joseph found favor because God was with him, we're told, and that he found favor also with his new master, his slave master, Potiphar, who in turn gave Joseph charge over his entire house. But even the garments of, of, of slavery were ripped from Joseph's back for a second time. And this time it was through, uh, as a result of, of, of Potiphar's lust-filled wife who accused Joseph of taking advantage of her even though he had ran away um, um, and his clothes were ripped off when, when she was trying to take hold of him, remember? Well, that was brought forth again another change. Consequently, Joseph's new set of clothes, after having those, prison, those, those slave clothes ripped off him, were, were, were the, the clothes of a prisoner. And this would be what Joseph would wear for many years as he patiently and faithfully waited on God, on God to intervene. And now, with the changing of Joseph's circumstances, we're again told about the changing of his clothes. And when we get to chapter, when we get a little bit further on in verse 42, we're going to see that this time Joseph's prison garments would be exchanged for Pharaoh's signet ring, for a gold chain that would hang around Joseph's neck, but also it says garments of fine linen. And like I already said, I don't want to over-spiritualize this thing, but there's a good reason for why God's Word gives so much attention to these things. With, with, with who, why, who, why do we need to know about Joseph's clothes changing all the time? And when I consider this thing alongside the sovereignty of God and see how, how Joseph's changing circumstances were marked by the changing of Joseph's garments, I think it unlocks something because in my mind, as I read through Scripture, I'm reminded how of God, in accordance to His perfect will for our lives, in accordance to His perfect plan for our lives, has also given to us a change of clothes when He saved us. When we became a new creation in him. In fact, the Bible teaches us, listen to this, that God has taken our garments of unrighteousness, what the Bible describes as filthy rags. Our garments of unrighteousness, and it says this, clothed us in fine linens of his righteousness. And there's a picture of this in the book of, of Revelation when it says the saints of God return, you and I, with Christ as he rides in to this world for a second coming upon the, the, the back of a horse, mighty and powerful, and we are seen dressed in fine linen robes, robes of righteousness. But we're also told that in setting us free from our sin, right? This picture of being in bondage, imprisoned, in, in that in setting us free from our sins, 
tells us that Jesus has clothed us with the garments of salvation. tells us this in the book of Isaiah, that he's clothed us with the garments of salvation and that he has wrapped us in a robe of righteousness like this. It says, like a bride who adorns herself with jewels. A thing of beauty. A thing of purity. God's changed our clothes. Now, when Joseph was brought before Pharaoh so that he might interpret these dreams, we see that he stood before him with a fresh shave and clean clothes. But more importantly, we see from verse 16, a different kind of clothing. Not one on the outside, but a clothing on the inside. As we see that Joseph was clothed in humility as he declared to Pharaoh that the interpretation was not in him, but it came from God. Now think about that. I don't know about you, but I sure know about me. And if I put myself in Joseph's situation, and man, I'm thinking, okay, I have this awesome gift and power. It's been proven. And now I'm going to get before Pharaoh. Don't you think you might tempt to take a little bit of credit, especially since it might mean that I'm going to get out of prison? I mean, that had to have gone, it would have gone through my mind. I'd be like, yep, Pharaoh, I can, I can fix your problems. Just give it to me, you know? And in our flesh, in our human nature, there's a little bit of temptation to, to, to lay a hold of the things of God as it's poured into us and to take some kind of ownership of it as if it is us, any, that there's some kind of good in us. And the Bible tells us clearly there is no good in us, that every good thing is God and is from God. And this is something that we need to fight against. And we see Joseph, he's being clothed in humility. And in doing so, he goes to Pharaoh and says, listen, Pharaoh says, I hear you can do this. And he says, no, I can't do this. It's not in me, Pharaoh. He says, but it comes from God. And he said, God will give you understanding, Pharaoh. God will bring you the peace that you're looking for. And I point this out for a couple of reasons. But first, but guys, in every instance of Joseph's life, he's seen, no matter where he's at, as a slave or in prison, he's seen, and even back home with his family, as he's interpreting the dreams, that some can say, oh, he's just being prideful. And remember I pointed out, and just said, no, I don't think so, because you look at his total life, and I think he was going, hey, this is from God, guys. Because in every area of life, he's seen pointing people to God. And he's not only pointing people to God, but he's given God the recognition and God the glory for what he, what God did through him. And in light of this, we once again see that Joseph, there's a comparison. He's just like Jesus in this way because Jesus came and he came to always draw people's attention to God, to his heavenly father. And also he says he came, Jesus being the express image of the Father, he came to reveal God. Why? So that people may know God. And people go, how can I know God? It's real simple. Through Jesus. You know Jesus, the Son of God, is the express image of God. You will come to know God. And this same humility, guys, that Joseph clothed himself with is what we in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, are also called to clothe ourselves with. And in doing so, we, like Jesus and Joseph, are to be pointing people to God and giving God the recognition and the glory for everything good that comes through our lives. Submitting to one another as we submit to God, clothing ourselves in humility. In verse 17, we read on, it says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river, and suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. 
And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, and the fat cows, or the first seven, the fat cows. And when they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they were that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as the beginning. He says, so I awoke. And I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk, full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered thin and blighted by the east wind, and sprang up after them. And then the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. And so I told this to the magicians, but there was none who could explain it to me. Then, verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what? He is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years, and these dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east winds are seven years of famine. This is a thing which God has spoken, or, or which this 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 is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following it, for it will be very severe. So in verse 32 it says, And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice, because this thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, verse 20, 33, it says, Therefore, let Pharaoh select discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the, in the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of the good years that are coming. And store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep the food in the city. Then... That food shall be used as a reserve for the land for which seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So, Joseph's brought before Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh recounts the dream to Joseph, and Joseph is empowered by God to then interpret the dream to Pharaoh. And in this process of explaining how the seven healthy cows and the seven seven heads, uh, good heads of grain represented the seven years of prosperity and in, in, in explaining how the seven sickly cows and the seven empty heads of grain which devoured the good represented the seven years of famine that were to follow, we see this. We see that Joseph, guys, took three additional opportunities to make sure that Pharaoh knew that these dreams, their interpretations, so listen, that the dreams, their interpretations, and the future that they revealed were all from God. Three times Joseph wanted to make that clear. But it's also important for us to notice that once Joseph had revealed Pharaoh to Pharaoh what the plan was, um, God... Uh, hang on just a second. We, we also see is, is that um, once, once, Pharaoh, or once Joseph had, had um, let Pharaoh know exactly what the plan, the, the, what God's plan was, what he also did in verse 32 is he, he said in, in that it was coming short to, to shortly to pass that, that Joseph continued on and he advised Pharaoh with a plan, right? A plan that would save the nation during this time of famine. So not only did Joseph explain the truth of God's will and the truth of God's plan, he also offered up some hope that would save them from this trouble that was coming. And in doing so, Joseph advised Pharaoh, he said, choose a wise man, 
one who would oversee, if you can do the math there, one-fifth is 20% of all the grain during those years of prosperity for the coming years of famine. Now, I don't know about you as I read through this and I'm going, well, that seems like real common sense advice. There was nobody wise in the land who could figure that out. But you know, it was coming from God, guys. And how many times have you seen just common sense escape people? Something that God's made revealed to you that you go, yeah, no problem, I get it. That everybody else is going, huh? And it's because it's, it's, it's God who brings forth the wisdom. And in this situation, that was what was going on. In Joseph's advice, it seems like common sense, yet it's advice, guys, listen, even though we know it's common sense, isn't it advice that most people never apply to their lives to be, even still today? And even though the Bible teaches us this principle of living on less than what we make and saving for the future is a basic principle for everyday practical living, current statistics show us that most people don't save. In fact, that percentage statistics and studies, current studies today say that 52% of all Americans don't save because they're spending more than they make with an average right now of $1.33 for every $1.33 being spent for every dollar that is made. But God's word clearly teaches us about the foolishness of this. Not only that, but the dangers of living like this. And in Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11, it warns us to saying this. <laughs> it says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard, when you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come upon you like a prowler, and you need to be like an armed man. And I point this out because in light of this, we need to, we need to know that we're, when we come to God's word, when God's plan is put before us, when God's will is put before us, we have a choice to make, just like Pharaoh had a choice to make in this situation from the words that he received from Joseph. And whenever God's will and God's plan is made known to us, um, we have to make a choice to believe. And, and in that believing, there's action. An action to follow the instruction. The instruction that God is always faithful to make known to us right even as he did with pharaoh through joseph saying hey listen this is what god's going to do this is how you take care of the problem god's word always does that always for us but it, what it boils down to is, is are we willing to do what god's word has said or do we just ignore it and continue to do things our way and pharaoh wasn't the case pharaoh was a hearer of the word in this situation and then he was a doer when he received the words of joseph and he sought to apply his advice by the situ or advice to the situation and in doing so we're told that pharaoh chose his discerning and his wise man joseph and elevated him to the second in charge over all of egypt now i don't have time to read the rest of these verses to you but i want to close with this last part and if if uh, uh noah wants to come back up i want you to Jump ahead and, and look at verses 51 with me there. And what we see in this is we, in those verses, you were told about Joseph's rise to power, the signet ring, the, the gold necklace, and the, the, the fine robes of linen that he got, and how Pharaoh puts him in this chariot and parades him all over, 
all over Egypt, and, and, then, and then how Joseph begins to enact his plan. And during that first seven years, he's given a wife and he has two kids. And, and in closing, I want to point out that over a, over a period of 13 years, God had enabled Joseph to accomplish some pretty wonderful things. Listen, he brought blessing to Potiphar's house through Joseph. He brought blessing to the people into the, into the prison through Joseph. We know that Joseph overcame temptation. And because of that, he endured this false accusation and, and, and a great injustice. And even though Joseph was, through it all, revealed to be a man of faith who expected to God to work, he also, we also see that he was ready and obedient when, when, when God's perfect timing came. When, whenever God needed him, whenever God would, would call upon him to do something, Joseph was obedient, obedient whenever the call came. But there was, one, there was one more achievement in all of this that in some ways was the greatest of all that God was doing in and through the life of Joseph. As we see that Joseph, guys, and this is what I was talking about with communion, is that Joseph was enabled by God's grace to, to wipe out the pains, to wipe out the bad memories of the past and make this new, and walk in this new beginning that God had for him. And sometimes, guys, God has such great new beginnings for us, and we, cannot, we fail to walk in them because we're holding on to the hurts and the pain from the past. We're unwilling to forgive. And we let bitterness take us in. And for Joseph, this becomes even more and more and more evident that he was able to do this, and the chapters follow. But the beginning of this is revealed by these two names that Joseph gave his sons here in chapter 41, verse 51. And this is because the names which are significant to something going on in the Old Testament to a person's life or to the, to, to the person giving the name. For example, the name Manasseh means this, forgetting. And as Joseph was going forward, he was forgetting. And clearly Joseph, he didn't forget his family because we know that his family will come and he receives them. Or, and he didn't forget the events that occurred because he processes through them. But you know what? He did forget the pain. And he did forget the suffering that it caused. He let that go. He let it go. In fact, when we get to chapter 50, we see that Joseph realized that God meant it for good. He says, what you guys intended for evil, God meant it for good. And that's how he was able to let go of the pain and the hurt. And because Joseph was able to look at the past from this kind of perspective, guys, he obtained that victory over his bad memories and any kind of bitterness. And it's an example for us. But forgetting the pains of the past was only half. As the name Ephraim, his second child, it means this, twice fruitful. And even though Egypt had been a place of affliction for Joseph, right? Think about that. Was Joseph, was Joseph still in the place, still in Egypt? Yeah. See, God didn't remove him from it, but God did a work in it and through it. Twice Fruitful. And even though Egypt had been a place of affliction for Joseph, it was also a place of fruitfulness. Guys, that place of affliction that God's got you in right now, it's a fruitful place. It's a fruitful place. And it was a fruitful place as God blessed Joseph by giving him a wife and two sons, but even more so as Joseph would become, this, the, become fruitful as the second ruler of the land and he would be used by God to save many lives, including his own family and the nation of Israel. And it's a wonderful thing, guys, when we can come through the trials of life, when we come 
through the tribulations with this kind of an attitude that Joseph had, being willing and, and, and enabled by God, if you could just lay it down at his feet, to bury the past hurts, and then to rejoice in the present blessings that are being, quote-unquote, being and, and in that way being forgetful and being fruitful all at the same time. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for these encouraging words this morning. I thank you for our time of worship together, and I pray, God, that you would go before us and give us the eyes, Lord, the spiritual eyes to see the work that you're doing today for us and in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.